Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I was reminded that there are 2,000 words in the letter to the Philippians. And if my intent is to preach a sermon on every word, I would be preaching from this book for the next 38 years. And I can do that. (laughs) That's not my intent. It's not my intent. It's not difficult to read several verses or even a chapter out of the Bible every day for your daily devotion. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think all of us need to be engaged in a time, a specific time in a specific place with the Lord each and every day. However, if that's all that we take in from the Word of God is just a casual reading of His Word on a daily basis, we will have the tendency of missing great words and great phrases in the Bible that demand more of our attention than just a casual reading. We don't need to be Bible scholars like those who teach in colleges and seminaries, but we do need to be Bible students. And we do need to discipline our lives uh, on a daily basis to not only take in the Word of God that it will inspire us, encourage us, allow us to move on into our day knowing that the Lord is with us and that His Word resides in us, but we also need to take time to do some diligent study in the Word of God to go to a deeper level in our understanding of what God is all about and what God has really said to us. The greeting of the Apostle Paul to the Philippian Christians is quite unlike our own greeting to each other. Our greetings are generally mindless. The words just kind of roll off our tongues automatically. If you were to greet someone this morning with the words, Hey, how you doing? And they were to respond, Well, if you have, a, uh, have some time, let's sit down and we'll talk about how I'm doing this morning. That wouldn't be the response we would expect, and uh, that would not uh, that would kind of uh, put a, a damper on our greeting other individuals if we were to spend 15, 20, 30 minutes talking to someone about how they were doing that day. Usually, when we say "Hi, how you doing?" we expect a simple "Fine," and "How about you?" to which we would respond, I'm doing okay. Whether we are or not, we would simply respond, I'm doing okay, or I'm doing fine. And we would let it go at that. 
That's pretty much how we greet each other. The same is true in our written correspondence. Uh, when we write a letter, and we usually don't do that anymore, but uh, we usually type out a letter on an email or a text or something of that nature. But if, in our correspondence, we normally uh, greet the individual that we're writing to with, Dear so-and-so. Dear John. Dear Mary. Dear Fred. Dear so-and-so. Even though we may not even know so-and-so. Or maybe so-and-so may not even be dear to us. But that's the standard greeting that we would write to another individual. And all of this is to say that greetings can be, and they often are, a simple formality. It's an icebreaker to get into the conversation, to get to what it is we want to say. But that's not true with the Apostle Paul. As we've seen over the past several weeks, every word that the Apostle Paul uses in his greeting, every word is fraught with meaning. There is an intent, there is a purpose uh, that the Apostle Paul puts these words there. And oftentimes these words are profound. I want you to turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. And again, we'll look at verse 1, but we'll focus our attention on verse 2. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. Philippians 1, verse 1 and verse 2. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've stated the theme of this letter is joy in Christ Jesus. Joy in Christ Jesus. And we've taken some time earlier to define and to differentiate between joy and happiness. I'm not going to ask you if you're happy this morning because I know some of you are not. It's very apparent as I look upon your faces. But the real question this morning is, do you have joy in your spirit? Are, do you have joy in Christ Jesus this morning? The reason the Apostle Paul wrote these words, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, is to emphasize at the very outset of the letter that true joy in the Lord comes from God's grace and God's peace in Christ Jesus. True joy, true spiritual joy, comes from God's grace and God's peace in Christ Jesus. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, great pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, England, wrote these words, No two words 
are more important in the whole of our faith than grace and peace. No two words are more important in the whole of our faith than grace and peace. Yet how lightly we drop them off our tongues without stopping to consider what they mean. How lightly we tend to drop them off our tongues without stopping to consider what grace and what peace really mean. Let me define these terms for you this morning. Grace expresses God's love toward us. Grace is an expression of God's love toward us. It is his unmerited, unearned kindness and favor toward us. It is his goodwill to each and every one of us. It is God's free benevolence and God's great favor to us. In other words, grace expresses how much God genuinely loves us. And that love is not earned. That love is not deserved. That love cannot be bought. That love can only be received as God gives it, and God gives that love freely to each and every one of us. God's grace is the unmerited, unearned kindness and goodwill of God to you and to me. Julia H. Johnston wrote these words long time ago, 1910. She wrote marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. All who are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. That's the love of God, extending to us grace. Peace is the condition that results from that grace. Peace is the condition that overflows from God's grace in your life. Now to the Jew, the word is shalom. And it does not necessarily, it does not primarily, refer to the absence of conflict. We think of that oftentimes in our own English language. We define peace as the ceasing of conflict or the absence of war. But that's not really what the word irene means in the New Testament. Peace refers to the deep abiding contentment. The deep abiding contentment, the quietness, and the rest that comes 
from a personal relationship with God. It is the deep abiding contentment and quietness and rest that comes from a personal relationship with God. It is the result of God's grace in a person's life. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. Warren Cornell and William Cooper wrote these words back in 1889. Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rolls a melody sweeter than psalm. In celestial-like strains it unceasingly falls o'er my soul like an infinite calm. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. Peace, the result of God's grace, and together they result in joy in a person's life. Grace is ours through faith. It is the source of our faith. Peace is the result of that faith. And again, both of them together produce joy in the life of a person who experiences that grace and who knows that peace. A few years ago, Nancy and I stood at the headwaters of the Arkansas River in near Leadville, Colorado. And we followed that river down stream for a while through Colorado as we were traveling through Colorado. And we were noting along the way the many fields and orchards that were fed by that great river. Like the Arkansas River, God's great grace is the source of untold benefits and blessings in a person's life. In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul lists no less than 60 benefits and blessings that we can experience as a result of God's grace and peace is one of those blessings. It is one of those benefits. And so I believe it is important, I believe it is even necessary, that we fix our attention on God's grace and its resulting peace that is offered to us by the God who loved us and sent His Son Jesus Christ to save us. And I believe it is necessary for us to understand these terms because of the days that we're living in. Uh, even though we're hearing reports that uh, the pandemic is beginning to weaken, it's beginning to lift, we're still living in troubled times. Uh, we're still living 
uh, in the midst of um, a situation and a circumstance that uh, can be very detrimental, even deadly, to individuals whose health may be compromised. We're still living. After a year of dealing with the pandemic, we're still living uh, in a situation where people are out of work. Businesses have been closed, and some of them will never reopen again. We're still living in a time where we are restricted in our movements and maybe even restricted in our assembling together. And of course, there is also trouble in the Beltway. There is also trouble in Sacramento. There is also trouble throughout our land and across the, the oceans to the Middle East and to the Far East. There's trouble all around us. So it is important for us to come to terms with what God has blessed us with in His grace to give us peace in the midst of the conflict. But again, peace is not just the absence of conflict. It is the deep abiding calm, satisfaction that resides in the spirit of an individual who knows God's grace. You can have peace and live in a troubled world. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand and appreciate in this letter to the Philippians. And so I want to draw our attention first of all that without God's grace there is no peace with God. Without God's grace, there is no peace with God. Now, you've got to follow uh, the points of the argument this morning. It all begins with God. And I'm going to emphasize that point again and again and again. It all begins with God. We've said from time to time about worship. We've said from time to time about Bible study. We've said from time to time about our Christian witness. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord God. Grace. Without God's grace, there is no peace with God. Again, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word justified simply means to be declared innocent of sin. Now, if I were to ask you, if there was an individual here, if you were here this morning, and you have never sinned before the Lord God, raise your hand... I would be shocked and appalled if you did raise your hand. Because I know humanity well enough to realize that there is not a single individual on the face of the earth that has not sinned against God, that has not openly rebelled against the God that created them and allows them to live on this planet. Scripture is very clear on this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes you. That includes me. But to be justified means that God declares us innocent of sin even though we're guilty of sin. 
The word justification means to be made right with God, to be declared right before God, and the declaration comes from God. It is God who declares you righteous. It is God who declares you justified. I cannot declare myself righteous, and I cannot declare myself justified. I cannot stand before you and say that I am not a sinner. I would be lying to you. I would be lying to myself. But it is not me, and it is not you, that declares us to be righteous. It is God himself who declares us to be righteous. We're all guilty of sin, and we're all disobedient, which separates us from God. But grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, unites us with God once again. Justification is the legal term. Redemption is the financial term. Salvation is the religious term. To be justified is to be saved. To be saved is to be redeemed. To be redeemed is to be justified. It is God expressing to us in numerous ways how much he loves us that he would save us from our sin and our rebellion, our disobedience toward him. Now because God declares us justified, we have peace with him. And we have peace in him. The sin war is over. God's wrath and God's judgment have been satisfied. We have passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. Hell is no longer our destiny. Heaven is now our eternal home. And it's not because I'm religious, and it's not because I preach, and it's not because I study the Bible. It's all because of God's great love for me and for you. He declares us righteous. He declares us justified. We have peace with God. God is no longer a stranger. God is now our Father. Second, we not only have peace with God, but because we do have peace with God, we have peace with ourselves. We can have peace with ourselves. Sin not only puts us at odds with God, it puts us at odds with ourselves. Because the sinner is at war with God, he is also at war with himself. You may very well say, well, I'm not at war with myself. Yes, you are. You just won't admit it. You're at war with yourself. You just don't admit it. Outside of Jesus Christ, outside of a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, there exists a state of internal conflict in every person. In Romans chapter 7, verses 14 
through 20. And I want to read that to you out of God's Word translation. Because out of King James or New King James, it's a tad bit confusing. But Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 20, out of the God's Word translation, I know, the Apostle Paul says, I know that God's standards are spiritual, but I have a corrupt nature sold as a slave to sin. Did you know that? Did you know that, that apart from God, you are a slave to your own passions, you're a slave to your own desires, you're a slave to your own wants, you're a slave to sin. Paul says, I don't realize what I'm doing. I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do what I hate. I don't do what I want to do, but I agree that God's standards are good. So I am no longer the one who's doing the things that I hate, but sin that lives in me is doing them. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, nothing good lives in my corrupt nature. Although I have the desire to do what is right, I don't do it. I don't do the good that I want to do. Instead, I do the evil that I don't want to do. Now when I do what I don't want to do, I'm no longer the one who's doing it. It is sin that lives in me that's doing it. Have you ever been in that spot? Have you ever been in a situation like that? You know what, it is, what is right. You know what is wrong. And yet for some reason you find yourself doing what is wrong rather than doing what is right. I talk to people a lot about these kinds of things. And sometimes an individual will say to me, you know, I, you know, I know that I shouldn't have said that, but something inside me just blurted it out. I know I shouldn't have done what I had done, and I'm so sorry that I did what I, what I did, but something inside me just made me do it. Many years ago, back in the late 60s and early 70s. You remember Flip Wilson? You remember Flip? In television, Flip Wilson would often dress up as a female called Geraldine. And he would talk about doing bad things and his justification was that the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Dear friends, I think sometimes, and just understand the nature in which I'm saying this, I think sometimes we give Satan bad press. I think we blame Satan for a lot of things that Satan's not responsible for. We're responsible. I think sometimes, dear friends, when we flub the dub... It's we ourselves who are shooting ourselves in the foot. We can't blame that. We can't, we can't lay that off on, on someone else. It is sin within us, the apostle says. It is the sin principle that is active in us, that causes us, that motivates us, that moves us to do the things that we know we shouldn't do, even the things that we don't want to do, but we find ourselves doing those things. And all of us, are guilty of that. All of us experience that in our lives. 
to live in sin is to live without God. And to live without God makes us self-centered, self-indulgent, self-promoting. Our conscience tells us something is wrong with us, and even other people tell us that something is wrong with us, but try as we might, doing all that we can do, we can't fix it because we can't fix ourselves. We cannot fix what's wrong within us because we cannot fix ourselves. It's a damning condition. And it only gets worse as time progresses when we live our lives outside of God's grace. But the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. The greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is seen that even though we are fallen creatures, and even though we have a sin nature, and even though we are spiritually dead, and even though we alienate ourselves from God through disobedience, He continues to extend to us His grace, His unearned kindness and favor, His abounding love through Jesus Christ. He continues to speak to our heart and to speak to our conscience about the need to turn away from the sinful life that we're living in, to turn to the life that He so desperately wants us to have and to enjoy, that can only be had through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that can save us from our sin. Only when we have peace with God will we have peace with ourselves. Only when we have peace with God will we have peace with ourselves. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, we become a new person. We become a new person from the inside out. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, those who are in Christ Jesus, therefore, if anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things, the old life has passed away, new life has come. If you're tired of your old life of sin, if you're tired of your old life of just getting by, if you're tired of your old life of addictive behavior, if you're tired of your old life of passions and desires that control you, if you're tired of being a victim, a slave, ensnared and trapped in sin, turn away by turning to Jesus. He will break that sin principle. He will destroy that sin principle in your life. And He will give you a new life in Him. Grace. Grace gives us peace with God. Grace gives us peace with ourselves. And finally... Grace gives us peace with others. Grace also gives us peace with others. We know the Great Commission. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. And that is his great commission to us as Christians. But we also need to to appreciate the great commandment of the Lord God in our lives as well. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39. You will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And the second is like it, you will love your neighbor as you yourself. That is the great commandment. The Lord Jesus Christ gives to each and every one of us to love God with all that we are and all that we have and to love others as we love ourselves. Love for God promotes a healthy love for ourselves. And that in turn promotes a healthy love for other people. When we learn to love God as God loves us, we will also learn how to love ourselves and how to love each other. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. We have peace with ourselves. And we have peace, we can have peace with other people. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle John writes, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, that is with God, if we say that we're on good terms with God, And yet we walk in darkness, we walk in sin, we walk in selfishness and self-centeredness, then we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Listen to the argument of John. If we say we have fellowship with God, but we sin against God, we live in sin and rebellion against God, then we're lying to ourselves. But if we walk in fellowship with God, as He desires that same fellowship with us, then we can also enjoy fellowship with each other. Peace with God. Peace with ourselves peace with each other. Personal sin creates conflict with God. It creates conflict in and with ourselves. It creates conflict with other people. And that's a lesson that as human beings we have long forgotten. Do you know that the conflict between the Muslims and the infidels is not a religious thing? The conflict between the Muslim world and the infidels, it's not a religious thing. The conflict between the blacks and the whites and the Hispanics and the Asians, it's not a racial thing. The world wants you to believe that. But that's not where the conflict rests. The conflict between the Arabs and the Israelis, the Americans and the Russians, the communists and the communism and democracy. Even the conflict between the Democrats and the Republicans. It's not a cultural thing. It's not a political thing. It's not an ideological thing. It's a God thing. 
It's a God thing. We have conflicts in all of these areas in life because we have conflict with God. We are restless and we are anxious in our lives because our relationship to God is not as it ought to be. We do not have fellowship with God as we say that we do. It's a God thing. And John reinforces that in 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We see the problems that we're facing in our state, in our nation, and in our world. We see these problems as resulting from those outside of us. Those who are not like us. Those who don't embrace the same ideas that we embrace. Those who don't love the same things that we love. But that's not where the problem arises. The problem does not arise from outside of us. The problem arises from within us. It's a God thing. Our relationship to God is broken. And because of that, our relationship with ourself and our relationship with other people, those are likewise broken. There is no joy in the life when we choose not to love one another. And it is a choice. It is a choice. There is no joy in life when we choose not to love one another. There's no joy in life when we choose not to love the Lord our God. There is no joy in our life when we choose not to let His love abide in us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, there is no peace in our world when there is no peace with God, when there is no peace with ourselves. How can we possibly live in a state in a nation or in a world when the Prince of Peace, even Jesus Christ himself, is rejected and the grace of God is refused. There can't be any peace. Now, it may be that way in our world. And it may be that way in our nation, in our state, but it doesn't have to be that way in your life. It doesn't have to be that way with you. The grace and the peace that brings you joy comes from God who desires to be your Father and from His Son, Jesus Christ, who desires to be your Savior and your Lord. In John chapter 15, the Apostle John writes, This is my commandment, Jesus said, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all the things that I have heard from my Father, I have made them known to you. We live in a troubled world. We live in a sin-sick world. If left to ourselves, if God withheld his grace, we would destroy ourselves. And it wouldn't take us long to do that. Because that's what sin does. And that's what sinners do. But we do have available to us the grace and the peace of God. We have it as one who loves us as a father. And we have it through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which surpasses all understanding and will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so the Apostle Paul writes, Grace and peace to you through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. David, lead us in a song. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.